We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernan. Joining us for this episode is Dean Austin, former player with Tottenham, moved on to coaching at the Premier League level. We've had him on before on the podcast a couple of years ago, and we brought him back on to discuss a certain topic. And this is this one is one of my favorite all-time interviews. The relationship between head coach and assistant coach talking specifically about that dynamic how do you go about the hiring process working alongside each other building the relationship delegating dealing with different issues disagreements all that good stuff dean has experience in both sides in the professional game as a head coach with farnborough town and northampton town and then as assistant coach with crystal palace Notts county and then watford uh, on two occasions and then as recently as last season when he worked alongside Kike Flores. Not just great advice from Dean but also so much wisdom and then there's the passion and the humility that he has not just for the coaching profession but also for people and this is a really inspiring chat so I was really excited to go back over this again. I took so many notes that I missed from the first time so Excited to get your thoughts. Would love to hear them at Gary Kernin on Instagram, at Gary Kernin on Twitter. This podcast is sponsored by Senseball. Senseball is the training soccer ball developed by Koji Training, the revolutionary soccer training method implemented in soccer clubs and federations around the world. Senseball is specifically aimed at young players between 6 and 20 years of age practiced individually or in groups. Senseball improves a player's touch and a feel for the ball while helping them become two-footed. Get Senseball now by going to senseball.com and become a better soccer coach. All right, here is Dean. Enjoy. Dean, welcome. Excited to have you on. No, it's uh, very nice for you to ask me back again, mate. So, uh, always a pleasure. So we're going to look at, I've just told the, the coaches on here, we'll look at the two perspectives. I want to start with, with as a head coach perspective. And I mean, you've just, uh, you've just had a chat with me about getting busy and, and staffing and all that there. I mean, from a, from a head coach's perspective, when you take a club, I suppose you've got a lot of coaches that wonder how jobs, how you apply. I mean, what do you look for in an assistant coach? Um. Well, I think sometimes it can be, it can depend on the job that you're in. I think there's there are variants that will determine uh, budget. I mean, I have a a pretty close a pretty close knit group of people that um, I would I would work with. I think sometimes though you will want to freshen it up. If you're in a job for a little while, you might you might. I think that the I look for. I mean, I, I, I will openly admit that I'm not, I'm not probably not the, the easiest person to work for. I'm, I'm, I'm um, pretty uh, relentless when I am in a job. I work very, very long hours. Um, 
It's not that I, I would say that I would particularly expect my assistant or my coaches to be there all the hours that I'm there, but I need to I need to have a sense and a feeling that every every stone is like there's no stone been left unturned that we've gone through everything. I think the most important thing when you get staff and I, and, and I know it's another part that we're going to talk about is about collaborating. It's about collaborating and delegating. When you're a manager, you have to be able to, uh, from the outset, set out with your staff what you require for them on a daily basis. Uh, and I think that clarity right at the very beginning is 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 crucial would that happen in the interview process does that happen as soon as the person takes on board or when would the best opportunity for that take place well, well i think so for example now in my bit of time that i'm out of work at the moment i i am often speaking with a lot of people as in regards to the people that i have used or would use as as members of staff so for me, I, after, I mean, different, because we're going to talk about that assistant role and being an assistant a bit after, but as a, as a manager, I think that you're always building your rapport with the people that you would, I mean, sometimes you can get an example where someone, someone will come out or come out of the woodwork from somewhere, send you an email. But I think that, for example, when I was at North, uh, Northampton and I, I had three or four people that I was looking at. Um, I had a number one target. And then I didn't think I could get him. And then I moved on in the process and then he come back to me. But it was already too late because I was always already down a line. And I, you know, I always talk about the things that I want us to do when we before we get to that stage. So I always want to get, I always want to get the clarity out there before the person takes the job, because I don't want to take a person that when we get in there and we start working and he's going, oh, well, hold on a minute, this is not what I've signed up for. Mm. So I think it's very, very important as a manager that you, um, you get clarity of the role. But I'm also talking with my assistant head on as well, because obviously I've been an assistant for to some very successful managers. But that's something that I've learned from them it is the clarity, get the clarity of of who's going to do what and or what you needed to do, et cetera, et cetera. You mentioned there about it's not a process. You wouldn't you get a manager's job. You don't go through 200 applications. You don't post it online and then start the poem. So you're going through, you're almost right now, you're going through potential people who you would look at staff. I suppose yeah. we're coaches yeah. looking at that. How how do you get or how do you come across those people? Where do you meet those people? Well, I would say from my point of view, it's probably 17, 18 years of experience mm -hmm. and a lot of networking, watching a lot of football, meeting a lot of people, uh, in England here, we, we uh, as managers, we're very well, look, very well looked after by the LMA. But we also have the uh, PCFA, which is the Professional Coaches Association. Um, and there are a lot of um, 
days where you can go and and there'll be specific days, whether they're coaching days, whether they're leadership days, whether, do you know what I mean? There's loads of stuff that are put on for the coaches over here. And um, I think a lot of, a lot of managers, a lot of managers, particularly in England, I think that normally their assistants would normally be someone that's very close to them, maybe an old teammate or along those lines. Some of the clubs now, uh, some of the clubs will also let a, mem- a manager come in with maybe two, three members of staff, but they'll already be people that are in the building as in regards to the, the club employees that they want to keep in place. So, um, regards to my contacts, I've built up a lot of contacts. I've built up a lot of contacts over a period of time. I now, uh, I look for uh, someone who, who, I am a manager that coaches, so I love my coaching. I love being on the field. Um, I believe it's one of my strengths. But I think that when you you are a manager, I, I want someone around me, and I'll have probably two. I, I probably use two people with me now um, that can, are both very comfortable on the training field, um, share share the values that I share, um, have the work ethic that I have, and um, people who I trust to be able to get on with the job. When you look at the the aspect of building the relationship with your number two, number three, let's say you you haven't really known them as well, or you haven't known them in a in a close yeah. environment. Like, a, I mean, what are some ways that that you would build that relationship as a number one? I, I almost split my day into four. Really, I, I could split my day into four, so I could have my when I arrive in the morning, I'm quite relaxed. I'll already the plan will already be done for their training. We probably would have spoken the day before, so we'll sit. We'll sometimes sit in the morning, have a little meeting over a cup of coffee and a bit of breakfast. And I think that that's by you build rapport by spending more time with people. You know, my sister in Northampton and my goalkeeping coach, I'd not worked with either of them before. But for those two guys, they could be, although I never felt that we, I always feel that there's work to be done. Even when you're, you're, either, you're either reflecting on one performance or you're analyse and, and you're analysing the performance before, or you're looking at opposition, or you're looking at our new development techniques of how you develop players. So I think that within a when you're in a job like that, whether it is, but I'm looking for the qualities. I don't want someone who's the same as me. I want I, I want to be challenged. I want to be challenged on a daily basis because I want to improve. Um, you know, I've I've had some great meetings in in the last three four weeks Zoom meetings, but I've had having meetings with young coaches that have reached out to me via LinkedIn or uh, and you know and want some um, want to have a chat regards to where they're going in their careers and they want to get involved in first team and and, and how they do that and 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 their coaching methods and what they believe in and sort of asking for some feedback from myself and what have you. And I really enjoy that side of it as well. And you meet new, new, new contacts from that. And I've met some, I've met some fine young men in, in the last month, you know, and they're reaching out to me now all the time and they're looking to progress themselves and might want to, and they're, 
probably working in academies here in England, but would like to get into first team. But I said to him, listen, that, that's great if that's what you want to do. But in this country, um, you, you have to realise that when you go into first team, are you prepared to spend six months out of work? Can you afford to spend six months out of work? Because the volatility of the game over here, you are going to end up in that position at some point. I mean, there's obviously a financial aspect of that there, but are you, do you are you then talking as well that you've got to be able, I suppose, within yourself to be able to deal with that there from confidence and from being able to not take too something too quick? Yeah, I think that you have to, I think in the period of uh, years I've been in the game, you build up a resilience um, and you have to prepare yourself for for anything that could happen because... You know, I, we we are um, we're in a business over here, especially over. I don't know what it's quite so like in, in America, Gary, but it, very much in here, you have a when you go into first team, you you can only work from a game to game basis. Now, you know, you can. I'm a very very uh, diligent planner, very meticulous planner, uh, but I've know that I have changed the way that I plan now when I'm at first team level because you won't get, for example, if you're working in an academy or working with kids and you might re be reviewing every six weeks or eight weeks or every 10 games or whatever, you don't get that opportunity down for the staff for a two-week plan. I like people to know what they're doing. I like people to know where they want to be um, or where they where they need to be, shall I say. But I think that, that such is the volatility over here, you you can't really do that now. It's constant. It's when you're first team, it, it's... I think the different... You know, when you're a manager, um, there is no getting away from the job whatsoever. You It lives with you. you. It is with you 24 hours a day, unfortunately. People used to ask me when I was... When I was the difference between being a head coach and assistant coach, and I'd normally say probably about two hours of sleep a night. <laughs> <laughs> For me, when I go to bed at night, going to sleep is never a problem. Yeah. When you're a manager and you've got decisions to make on what your next team is, and normally over here we're playing every four days. If you're not in the Premier League, like in the Premier League, you get probably week to week, unless you're in the Champions League or whatever, or the UEFA Cup. Um, but in the in the... EFL leagues especially, you've got to be ready to play every four days. So when you're a manager, you've constantly, you're constantly making those decisions. So I've never had a problem sleeping. I sleep, I can go, my head can hit the pillar and I am out. No matter what the situation, not a problem. But I've got to say that when I was, when I've been a manager and a couple of times I've been a manager, I'll be awake very, very early in the morning. I mean, I used to get up regular. I get up regularly if I'm if I'm in a job. I'm regularly up by quarter past six at the latest, really. But if I was a manager, or when I was a manager, sometimes I'd give up by five fifteen, five o'clock, and just get up. Mm. And and I also found that uh, the best time for me to really work is to crash into work is first thing in the morning, or I'd go go to the gym. Mm which was also, I think, you have to, when you're managing, you have to find a way of relieving your stress. 
I mean, a lot of head coaches are wired emotionally. They're very, very intense. It's a, it's, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of levels, even over here at the minute, college, yeah. a lot of pressure. So yeah. let's, say, let's say the assistant coach or the head coach has, has risen up by being independent and then yeah. all of a sudden they're in an environment where they have access to staff, resources, and they're struggling to delegate. They have a well-capable staff, but they're just not trusting that enough. I mean, how does the, how does the assistant coach, without annoying the head coach, get to do more? Well, I think when you're, when you're an assistant, and I've, I've been fortunate, I've worked for some, I've worked for some top managers. Um, and my, my pathway has been quite, quite, quite varied. But, I think that you, as as a manager, or as a manager, you can't do everything. So you, you there has to be some trust. You have to have trust. You have to have trust. Now I was lucky. I worked for Brendan Rogers um, over ten years ago. Now, ten yeah, nearly nearly eleven years ago. And um, but he and I had built up a relationship. This is what like what I was saying to you. He and I had built up a relationship over the course of probably five or six years. And that relationship wasn't a relationship that we saw each other every single week or, but once every three weeks we'd be on the phone, we might meet up, we'd talk about football and you just build that rapport. When you inherit, I think when you inherit, it is difficult, but if you're at a good club, then that good club's going to have good stuff. And I think that there's, I think there's another thing. There's another thing that I've learned, and it's a it's a learn. You know, it's about self awareness. You know, I think in the last ten years I've become a lot more self aware. You know, as I said, when I'm when I'm actually in my workplace and I am working, I I sometimes can come across. Whoof, he's a bit. Whoof, he's a, he's it's it's a bit. It's a bit hard work because I, I'm on it. I'm on it all the time and I expect everyone else to be on it. But there is a time when I do look to relax and then I become more Dean the person rather than Dean the boss. And I then build my rapport with my staff by communication. Mm. I always try, I don't, I don't try if I'm, if I'm a, as a, as a leader, I'm not trying to lead by authority. I'm trying to lead by influence. I'm trying to lead the way by by showing people how I how I work. But I think very much is the the first thing that I would do if I if I was a manager, the first thing that I would do is that I would make sure that I'd be getting around to all my staff, all my immediate staff immediately, individually. Although there might be a group meeting to start, I would be getting around to all those individuals and having even if it's just twenty minutes and this, that and the other, you've got to give people your time. It's the one thing you don't have as a manager, but it's the one thing that you have to give. Because mm. you, do, you don't have the time, but you have to make the time. You have to give the time. But that's where your collaboration and your delegation comes into play. So, for example, you might have to, you, you might have to set some, someone something. You might have to say to your assistant, right, this is what, what we're doing today, but this is how I need it done. This is the dimensions that I want it made to. If you can just get that generally set up, because I need to give half an hour to Fred over here because we've got some stuff to, that we need to discuss on the physical periodization, for example. And I need to, I need him to understand how 
what I want. So you have to make time for people. When you are an assistant, I'm, I use my experience to bounce off the person that I work for. And I've worked for three top, top managers and they're all very, very different. But I adjust myself to their needs. I am there to support them 110%. Um, I've got a belief in myself. I know that I'm good at what I do. They're comfortable with me. There can be a comfortable silence, but I can normally, I've got to a stage now because I'm older now. I mean, I'm 50 now. So it's, it, you know, I've got a level of experience where I can read, I can sort of read uh, the personality that I'm working for. I mean, I've done a lot of work over a period of time about different types of people and, and what they stand for. And there's a thing over here that's used and I, I've had access to it through, through, um, through uh, a guy on the LMA really good and people become red, blues, greens or yellows. They talk about, and it's a talk about whether they're creative, whether they're an introvert, whether they're a, a sort of a, an analyzer, a deep thinker, a thinker through, or whether they're a red, which is like a bull in a china shop, got to get things done. So sometimes now I look and I, when I, when I work for the people that I've worked for, it's very much that, like, for example, Brendan, I knew what Brendan wanted. You know, we built up a report for quite a period of time. When I went back to Watford to work for Slavisa, Slavisa Djokanovic, I sort of stood back a couple of days. I stood back a couple of days and watched the environment work and then adjusted myself to what he needed from me at that time. You know, when I worked for Kike, you know, Kike is unbelievable, but there were seven of us. We had seven mem seven members of staff. So he had uh, three immediate assistants, which I was one of. He then had um, his analyst, his own analyst. He then had his own goalkeeping coach and he had his own fitness coach. So it was like, it was very much that, because we'd worked together before, when I worked for him the first time, the first two, three days, I was just like, I was like just bombing around all over the place, really almost like a personal assistant for the manager. But then after three, four days, it sort of settled down because we're getting things in place and people are getting certain roles. And even when we went back the last time, you know, we were so well planned before we went back into Watford. It was incredible. But sometimes things just don't work out for whatever reason it, it, it's not through your work ethic or what you're doing but you might make mistakes in regards to in regards to team selection i'm not saying that we did that but we got sold down the river with a couple of vir decisions at crucial times um and and things affect you that way but it's very uh i think that when you are an assistant the biggest thing for me when i'm assisting i'm just trying to give the manager everything that i believe that he needs so I, any of his, and I sometimes, you know, I worked for another manager before, um, before I went back to Watford, where I just used to say, look, all the nonsense stuff that you don't want to deal with, give it to me and, and I, that's, no, that's no problem. We had quite a small staff, but I said, like, I could sort out, like, regards to the hotels, the travel, the timings. Um, I was with a manager then 
who wasn't a coach. So I used to build the sessions every single day. Um, but it was hard because it wasn't a manager that I'd worked for before. It wasn't a manager that I really, really knew well. Um, and it, it could, but, but what I learned in working with him was that he was uh, quite a similar character to me and we could have an argument in the office and, and it was like, it wasn't an argument. It was, a, it was, it was a discussion. It was a heated discussion, but it was the challenging. We were challenging, challenging each other and it was comfortable. Um, we had disagreements and you could, and it's not, you, you know, I think that when you are an assistant, you have to really, you have to be able to feed off the manager and know and be a step almost I try and work a step in front of the manager I try and preempt things before they actually happen or preempt things before he's going to ask me something last one for me and we've got some questions coming in and then we'll, yeah. we'll start with the questions you mentioned there about self-awareness and, and understanding the personality that you're working for yeah something that I've noticed basically because I've been sitting for half an hour before I go to bed every night and I'm, stuff comes up on YouTube the, there's a stuff came up the other night. Uh, last interview, Brian Clough's last interview at Forest uh, when yeah. they delegated, and he looks like a different person. Uh, what pressure can do to you at that level? When you mentioned there about doing stuff that taking stuff off their hands, when you see a manager who's basically getting towards the Kevin Keegan rant or the Rafa rant, mm -hmm. you know, is there anything you can do as assistant coach? Well, I think that. I've been really fortunate, really, that the 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 three really good managers that I um, that I've the, the three top managers that I worked for were so well measured and level as people that you didn't really have to say anything to them, even after the the, the worst defeat. Really, mm. um, you knew that they would go out in front of the press and be able to conduct themselves in a in a fantastic way. I think that what happens is that I think that a lot of um, I think the biggest thing when you are an assistant, you have to also be able to, to, to show that calmness that your manager, you know, if your manager is, if your manager is a calm guy and he's on the side and he's in control of everything, he don't need you getting up every minute, like jumping up and down off the seat and ranting onto the field or shouting and screaming to the players. I mean, it, it doesn't need that. The biggest thing that we, um, you know, I, I, if I saw something within a game, I would just get up and I would just sort of say something in the ear of the manager and I'd just sit straight back down. Mm. I would only just say something to him, that, but I would only say something if I thought it was crucial. It could have, it could have some mark on the game. Mm. Um, but I've been lucky that I've never, I've never, I've not worked for a manager yet that I've seen him sort of lose, would lose control. Just take a quick break here. Coaches, please check out Senseball. Senseball is the training soccer ball developed by Koji Training, the revolutionary soccer training method implemented in soccer clubs and federations around the world. 
specifically aimed at young players between 6 and 20 years of age. You can practice individually or in groups. Senseball improves a player's touch and feel for the ball while helping them become two-footed. As a coach, encouraging your players to practice with the sense ball in training or at home will bring them many benefits. They can acquire the essential skills of modern soccer. They can learn to control, guide and kick the ball perfectly thanks to the repetition. Sense ball is designed on the principle of bilateral activity. Thanks to the practice of sense ball, they make an average of 500,000 touches of the ball in one season and use their left foot just as many times as their right foot. There's a special discount prices for orders of 10 or more and shipping is free. Get Senseball now by going to senseball.com and become a better soccer coach. Please check them out. Really appreciate them sponsoring the podcast. Back to Dean. Uh, we'll take a few questions here. Yeah. Herb said, Dean, have you ever had an internal conflict with the manager's ways to ways to point you to contemplate resigning? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, I have. I won't tell you where it was, but yes, I have. Um, and I was going to resign. I was going to resign. My wife talked talked me out of it. it I got to a stage. Um, I, I just wasn't enjoying going to work every day. And I just felt that, you know, I'd had my career as a player, which I didn't enjoy as much as what I probably should have done. But that was probably because of the amount of injuries that I had. But I always said that when I was in a when I was going to go into doing what I was going to do next, which was coaching. But part of my coaching, part of my coaching life is what I believe is helping human beings, helping, helping people. Um, it's what I get a real kick out of as well as winning um, but when you get to a stage I believe that when you get to a stage that you really aren't enjoying something then I, I don't really see the point for carrying on now some people can be in a, in a financial position where they have to carry on because they can't well then you that become that then requires a, an enormous amount of discipline um, and knowing when and what to say. Mm. I mean, I, I went in, I, I had a job and, and we, and we did, we, we clashed, we clashed over our way of working. Um, it wasn't necessarily the football way of working. It was the, what I would call the physical adaptation to preparing for a game. And he, I got asked an opinion. And, I, and the other thing is, is that I never, I very rarely give an opinion unless I'm asked for an opinion as an assistant. I normally wait my, I wait my moment. I hold my own court, really. I make my own notes, of course, um, because that's part of the learning and reflection process yourself and I think that as a whether you're a, a manager whether you're an assistant and we're talking about being an assistant coach here or a coach I think that you should always go away uh, post-match look at the game uh, reflect on the game and I believe that you should write your own notes now of those notes if there's something in there that you feel that 
needs to be put across to the manager, then you've got to find your time, the right time, the right moment to be able to put that across. Um, I can, you know, for example, I would never in the morning between half past eight and 10 o'clock in the morning, I would never, ever go to Kike with information. Never. Would never do it. Because I could see he'd have his glass on, he'd have his head in his computer, he'd have his notes with the training on and this, that and it, and he'd be writing loads of stuff down. And he would, uh, he would be in deep thoughts. And I know that at that moment, I could say something and it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference because he wouldn't really be listening to me. Whereas when we've come in after training and we then go back to work again, we might do sort of three quarters of an hour, an hour's work then, and then go off for lunch where we get all staff together, we're relaxed. And we had a great thing with the group that we had at Watford was that we didn't talk about football. We used to sit, there was a table of seven of us, and we used to sit there and we used to we used to we used to laugh, we used to take the Mickey out of each other, we'd talk about life. We almost used to relax each other mm. by de-stressing. But then after that three quarters of an hour to an hour, we'd then go back to the office and then we would then get talking about different things and then the opportunity if the opportunity was right. Even then, the opportunity, I might think, no, it's not relevant. It's not It's not the right time. But then there's other times he, I might be giving him a lift somewhere and we'd be in the car and I'd have a conversation with him in the car. So it's just all about how you manage. It, you know, it's it's a big thing managing upwards. You know, when you're an assistant, you man, you're trying to manage your manager. When you're a manager, you're trying to manage your owner and your, and your CEO. But I think that it's... Um, I... I I, I've only gone into conflict. I've only gone into conflict with one manager ever. Just in, in what have I done? Four, five, six, maybe six roles as assistant, two as a manager. Um, I think I've had one one conflict mm. with a manager, and that was just the way the conversation went, and that was really through him being a red ultra controlling and couldn't be told and I just probably got the moment wrong of, of what to say at the right time I got asked a question I gave an honest answer and it caused the conflict uh, Someone's asked about the you mentioned there about that crucial moment that you step in and uh, a manager's ear on the sideline someone's yeah. for an example of what that could be what, what would be crucial Well I think that you know it sometimes can be um I mean, it depends on what your role is as, as, an, as an assistant because some people, like, so when we was at Watford, we, we got assigned different roles. So, like, we was, uh, me and uh, Juan Carlos, we we was, we was our, our thing was set pieces. So, we we would have to be 100% sure on set pieces. Now, we used to take to the manager when we were going to do the drills that we would run, et cetera, et cetera. If we saw something in the game, so when we put the markers, so for example, if we put the markers up and we've gone, oh, nah, he's having a bit of a struggle to handle him. He's not going to be able to handle this apart. We might then go, boss, we need to change it. Like, might go to, but boss, we need to change this here. 
he's 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 not being able to handle with his movement or whatever, or he's really attacking the ball well. He's lost him three times. It's it's caused, and we did have that. And and in Watford we did have that. We did change markers over. You know, one player lost lost an opponent twice. Two headers were cleared off the line, and we had, and we had to flip him over. Sometimes you might, um, for example, if depending your system, if you're playing with wide players. And, and a wide player's on one side and, and he's looking particularly sharp, but you feel that the opposing fullback might be particularly weak. You might see it within a game. Um, and, and so that just maybe would be little tactical things. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, sometimes like the, the, the stage I got to is that sometimes most of the managers would call me up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I remember when we was at Watford with Slavisa. And um, we'd been working together then sort of four months, five months or whatever. And we was playing away to Brighton and we started off with a three, with a three, five, two. And uh, Brighton were absolutely brilliant after 15 minutes. And he said, he called me over, he said, Dean, he said, what do you think? He said, do you think that we need to, do you think that we need to change? I says, boss, I think we're going to have to, I think we're going to have to sacrifice. We need to go to the four. We need to go to the four and, and, and go to our diamond. We're getting overloaded in the middle of the field, etc., etc. So I think that we need to change. Slavisa was brilliant at seeing that. Like he was superb. He was he saw things on the field and he made decisions and he went for it. Like he he really went for it. He was ultra ultra aggressive on the side, not uh, regards to uh, the way that he was with people or running up and down, but he was very very. Uh, positive in his actions. If he saw something, bang, boom, it, you know, and, and that's part sometimes get a little bit of information. The following week, we played Sheffield Wednesday at home. We had to win the game to win the league. And Sheffield Wednesday played particularly well for t- the first 20 minutes. And he called me over and he said, Dean, he said, um, and we were already promoted. So he come and he said, Dean, he says, is their system causing us a problem? I said, boss, it's not their system. I said, the players have been out on the beer all week. That's the problem at the moment. I would see how this pans out for 15 minutes. And gradually we grew into the game and we got it going. So it's like, you know, it is, it's just, I think sometimes is, um, is experience, um, experience and, and people skills. Yeah, on that, then we've we've a few people that are coming in to um, as an assistant. You talked about managing up, managing down as an assistant. About one, the maverick. How do you coach the maverick? And two, yeah. how do you coach the player that basically is uncoachable and just worried about getting on the team on a Saturday? So you don't matter as much as an assistant. I think that is um, it's really hard. I would always say to assistants. If a manager gives you a session, like wants you to run the session, never worry about, if you're confident in your planning and your detail of what you are doing, never worry about how the players uh, perform. As in regards, they might think that they're giving 100%, but when a manager's not taking the training, or if I find if you, it's one of the things that I learn that I probably, I, I love my coaching. But I probably would not want to take training every single day. And the reason being for that is that when the manager takes training every single day, when he hands over something to the assistant, the the assistant will never get the intensity out of the training what he wants. And it's because he's not given enough to do. Mm. It's one of the things that I 
I've got to say, I, I really, really learnt on that. Regards to the Maverick. Now, I was very fortunate in 2009, uh, 2010, 2011, I worked at Crystal Palace and Wilfred Zaha was one of my players. Wilf, you, you couldn't coach Wilf. Wilf is, is your player that you talk about that you wouldn't talk to him about how to receive on the back foot because he was so unorthodox. He was so unorthodox, but you let him get on with it because it wasn't worth trying to coach him because that wasn't the player that he was. So you also have to recognise. So what you would do regards to a Wilfred was that you wouldn't coach him as in regards to um, regards to his ability, but you would coach, try and coach him or guide him or build rapport with him and trust on the training field if you're going to 11 v 11 as thinking about the things of the positions that he might want to take up. Mm. See, I, I, I work on, for me, I'm an 80-20 person. I'm 80% my team, 20% maximum of the other team. But when I was working with Wilfred Zaha, I'd really be talking about how he was going to do damage to the opposition. I would very, very rarely, um, I'd very, very rarely would say to him, "You need when we ain't got it, you've got to get back in this." But, but it was a saying, and I've learnt. I learnt that from later on in my playing career, when I played with David Ginola. And David was by far the the most incredible, talented footballer I'd ever I'd ever graced a football field with. But boy, was he one lazy bugger. And you would not be able to get him to do, like, if you played him left wing, don't expect him to track the right back because he won't. But there again, I played against David Ginler and he gave me a torrid time for about 25 minutes in a game one day, Spurs versus Newcastle. But because he, he let me go, he just, when we lost the ball, he was always in a position to receive the ball. And I think that if you're a team that's going to be a little bit under pressure, sometimes it's a great thing to have that you know that there's someone there. You, you, they're always in the position. They always go in a position to look to get on the ball. Mm. And you can't coach that. You yeah. can't coach that. It's more about building rapport and trust with that person or going around and put a little bit of an arm around them. Um, and, um, you know, few quiet words, maybe a little bit light-hearted, laughing a joke and this, listen, we might be touching on this today. Just, just, uh, right, I need you to really concentrate when we do do that, you know, because I just, I want to get this, I want for the other players, I want them to get this point. I, I want them to, they really, really need to understand what I'm asking them to do. And you're quite crucial and you can help me in regards to doing this. And normally, and that's normally the way that I would go around it um, in that way. In with the player that all he's interested in is being on the team sheet. Are you talking? Are they talking about don't want to train, can't get them to train, but just want to be on the team field or, or on the field, or they don't want to be coached. They just want to get their work in, and they and they because they just want to be on the field on Saturday. Probably the second one. Probably just want to play on a Saturday. Just not well, a trainer. Well, I, I would always say, and I normally always say to players that the team is not. The team is not picked from Saturday to Saturday. The team is picked from a Monday to Friday. 
So I need to see, there's things that I need to see in training. So for example, if I've got a central midfield player and one of, one of, a, one of our traits of our game is switching play as quickly as possible inside three passes from, from the, what I call the build-up zone from the, to the creative zone, if he can't receive the ball on his back foot and he, and he can't get it out inside two seconds before he's pressed, yet I'm trying to coach him that and he's not receptive, then it's probably going to turn me off it a little bit. Yeah. I will, I will give him, I will give him all the, t- all, all my, all my experience and my guidance to be able to help him try and achieve that. But I'm not just going to keep letting it go, letting it go, letting it go. Because I think the one thing that you've got to be with your players is that you've got to be consistent. And if you've got a squad of 20 players, you've got to be consistent with your players. You can't let, you know, you, you can have a, you can, players, players will accept your maverick. So they won't come to you and go, oh, well, oh, maverick over here. It don't matter what he does. He can do whatever he wants because you're going to pick him or, and, and it, I look at it from an assistant as a manager. Most players know the value of the Maverick. If the Maverick, if the Jindler, if the Zaha are creating and scoring goals and people know the importance to the team, they know that they're going to play. Pretty much that they're going to play. It's then up to you as an assistant and as a manager how you cajole that Maverick to get that Maverick to, to sort of buy in to what you want to do on the training field. Good one here, Chris McLaughlin. If, um, let's say, the manager's job opens up at a club that you felt was a good fit, but you can't bring in your own staff, how do you approach it? Well, I think that you you have um, you have a choice. You have a choice. You either you if you have that much respect for the manager. Not so much that much respect for the manager, but if you, I would always speak to the manager. If a manager was going to go and I was going to get off, I would speak to the manager. I would ask him. You would, would call a manager that's left? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I would sort of say, look, are you, uh, do you, you know, I, I was put in temporary charge at Northampton and Jimmy Floyd Aspect was brilliant about it. He said, look, you know, and I, he sort of said, what's the score? I said, well, listen, we've got five, there's five games of the season to go. So they've asked me if I'd do it for five games. You know, um, uh, and then it's probably over anyway. They probably, because the club was as, as good as relegated. Um, but I think that you have to, I think you have to look at how you feel that you can influence people. You have to look at staff and go, right, can they be influenced? Mm. And I think that that is, you have to have a conversation with, the I, th- I think that one of the um, when you you have to f- if you feel that you're aligned to a club if you feel that you, you are aligned like you've got the same thought processes and you have an and you can get to an agreement um, and um, agree of the expectation levels with the powers that be then I think that take the job. Because if you do very well, if you do very well and you're not particularly happy with the staff because you don't think their work ethic's the same as yours and this, that and the other, I think then after a period of time, if you've done quite well and you get results, 
I think you can then take that to the owners or the board and be able to say, look, I just don't think that this is a great fit. I just don't think this is great. I've got nothing against the person because I don't have anything against people. But I always give people opportunity. I always give people an opportunity to to uh, to collaborate and work together. I'm not I'm not one of those people. Obviously, if you're going into a job and the staff's been cleared away, then you've obviously got the opportunity to take your own staff in. But if you haven't got that opportunity, I, I, I don't I don't agree. I don't I'm not just one of them people that go right. Okay, get the old lot out. I've got to bring my guys in. I don't think it works. I don't think it works, and I don't think that's how. And a lot more clubs are, are doing that now over here. More sporting directors, uh, staff in positions, and the manager can bring a couple of members of staff in, and and then he can get on with the job. Um, but I, I, I think if you're comfortable in your own skin, if you're com- you're comfortable in your own skin to do the job, and I think that if you feel that you can connect with people, build rapport with people, but make sure that you you um, have clarity in the roles and what you want people to do. And you don't have to be a sergeant major to do that. You don't have to be sitting in a room going, right, blah, blah, blah. Go, right okay, I've been thinking about it. And, you know, these are the things that I really want us to concentrate on. And so, Bob, I want you... Uh, it's, this is what I want you to really concentrate on. Can you do that? Like, are you, are you happy with that? Blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of it, I'd go, if this, look, if you, obviously with what we've spoken about, if there's not anything, if there's not anything that you're comfortable with, like, and you're not sure on, or, or you're not sure if it's what you want to do, then no problem. Just come and knock up. Well, the, my door's always open. I have an open door policy. If I, even when I'm in office, I don't have, I don't close the door in my office. I leave the door open constantly. I don't close the door on anybody. And normally I like to, I mean, at Northampton, we, we, it was it was great because we did build rapport. We had a very, very small office and everyone had to work together. But we had that. When I went there with Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, we inherited fitness coach, physio and analyst. But they were great, great guys. And, you know, people want to help. And if they show that you, if you show them that you want to help them, then you'll get more out of them anyway. Uh, Bjorn has asked about... At clubs, do you think too many cook? You can have too many cooks. Can you have too many voices and assistant uh, and opinions from assistant managers? Um, well, you can, but I think it depends on the personalities of your assistants. If you've got real extroverted uh, assistants that feel the need to be constantly chipping in, um, then I think that yeah, I think you can. But I think that you know, I had this conversation. I had this conversation with Kike actually um, after after we left Watford. We had lunch, and he spoke about he spoke about how he used to open the room up for opinion uh, while we was at Watford, and he actually did say to me that like probably felt that it was a bit too much. He got he got a bit too he got a bit too uh, a bit too much information overload. Whereas we said when he first started out in the job and he had his successful period at Atletico Madrid, he had an assistant who was he was very, very close to. But he said, you know, I was 
I, 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 I had it in my head. I, I knew what I wanted. I knew exactly what I wanted, and off I went. It wouldn't have mattered what anyone else said. So I think that it depends on how you manage that. As a manager, listen, you have people around you because you feel that they're good people and they're good staff. So they'll understand. They know that they they will be there to support you in whatever way you want. And I think if you, I always say that sometimes when you talk to people, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. If you don't want that information, then all you need to say to them is that, look, I don't need you to bombard, I don't need to be bombarded with loads and loads of information. Just do your job. If I want something, I'll come and ask you for it. Mm. But I think you've got to be a comfortable enough person and comfortable with the people that you've got around you to have that relationship to be able to go and say that. Or be a very good people person that you can manipulate the situation. How do you create an environment that staff can be safe and valued when given or receiving feedback? I think that, um, I think that uh, as a manager now, I think in this day and age, everybody, I think managers have to be liked. People have to like the manager now. Mm. I I just think the way the game has gone, I just don't think that there's no... um, I just don't think that the, the style that we have seen before previously, um, I think that, I, I mean, I would never, I would never, ever, with a member of staff, come for a member of staff in a group meeting. Or, that's just my, that's just me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't believe in, uh, I think everyone needs to feel, everyone needs to feel good. Um, but you have to understand that we're human beings and everybody makes mistakes. I have a saying though, I used to say, I only ever wanted to be told something once. If I've done something wrong, got no no problem, tell me. But you'll only ever tell me once because it won't happen again. Um, and I think that that is, I think that for me, if I've got, for example, because sometimes what can dictate staff can be finances. So sometimes you can't always get the very best staff in the lower levels over here because the wages are so poor. So I think what you need to be able to do when you know that you, you, okay, you got, you're, you're trying to guide staff to do the things that you need them to do. I think that then what you have to do is that you have to spend time with that person. You have to spend time with that person and, and almost, I'm not talking about spoon spoon feeding them what you want, but I think you need to be able to go, right, this is kind of how I want to go about it. This is kind of what I need. This is what I want you to do. And I want to help you do that. I, like If I can help you achieve that, then great. And I almost try and develop by saying, or not saying to their faces, but try and help that person develop themselves so that they can then improve. And they might not end up staying at the club because they might get a better offer because these guys that are at lower levels are not earning good money. That They have to be constantly looking to evolve their process of whatever role that they're in because they need to jump the levels if they can. Because everyone's ambitious, right? Yeah, well, that was someone sent me that before yesterday. Someone uh, sent me a message and said, could you ask him about when you're planning a career in coaching, should you plan to be the head coach? Should you plan to be assistant? Or should you just 
go with the flow? Well, me, I go with the flow mm. and I've always gone with the flow. Even when I, when I started coaching in, I mean, I started coaching in my last three, four years of my playing career because I, I knew that my career was probably going to come to a, a, an abrupt end because of injuries. Um, but from the first job that I didn't take my first job at 2003 in, Wat, in Watford's Academy and going, I've got to be, I've got to be this, I've got to be that. I've just kind of gone about my work, believing what I do, trying to help people, give the best quality that I can give to people and see where it took me. Mm. Um, my role at Watford, I mean, again, I, I, I was fortunate. I mean, I'd, I'd had a, I had had a, uh, a relationship with Brendan towards the finish one of my coaching courses and I was doing it with his academy, with his academy players at Reading. And we started building this rapport and got on unbelievably well and chatted a lot. And he knew a local businessman who was, who was taking over at Farnborough in the national conference. And Brendan rung, rung me and said, look, this guy's looking for a manager. He said, and I've spoke about you. He says, and he's kind of all over it. And like, he wants to speak to you. He says, and the bonus for you is he's a Spurs fan. <laughs> um, so that was how it went. But then from there, I went back to, to Southend. I, I turned down the job at Southend originally to take the opportunity to be at Farnborough, to go at Farnborough. I, you know, I had a great six months, seven, eight months at Farnborough. Um, but we was we was in administration and all kinds of problems and one of only three part-time teams. But I learned more in that situation. Don't worry about, do not, I always say to people, whether you're managing or assisting or whatever you're going to do, if you don't worry about making mistakes and getting it wrong because it's the only way you're going to learn. You know, you're never going to learn through doing things right all the time. No one does everything right all the time. And, you know, you're going to fail. You've got to be prepared to fail. But what you've got to do when you fail, you've got to be able to pick yourself up very, very quickly and push on again, reflect, and be able to push yourself on to your next adventure, whatever that may be. But then that's where the resilience comes in. Mm. I think the biggest thing in one of the biggest thing in coaching is that you have, to be, you have to be resilient. It's like if you're going to be in football, you've got to be resilient. You have to have that resilience. Um, but it's don't be frightened to make mistakes. You know, I, I coach kids now, but I coach kids for fun. I don't coach kids for money. I coach kids for fun. You know, I, I have I run a uh, or run a St Albans based academy, but there's another part of it in Croydon with my good pal Bobby Bowery. But I run the St Albans. I don't do it for money. I have ninety five kids on a Monday night between half four and half seven between the ages of six years old up to under 16s. And I love it. I love it. I love seeing young people um, enjoying the game, showing that enthusiasm. But I'm, fi I'm 50 years old and I'm more enthusiastic than them because I love the game. Mm. And I think that if you show, you show people that you love the game, you know, don't get too down when things go wrong. I know it's hard if you're if you're in a head coach's role somewhere and results aren't right. Just it's you know, I always go back. I reflect a hell of a lot. I read a lot. I sit down a lot. I'm a, I'm a quite 
I'm quite. I can be quite aggressive on the training field, but I'm quite introverted when I when I'm out. I'm quite a quiet person, really. When I, I like, I like my own four walls, but I like reading. I like looking. I look at a lot of footage. I analyse a lot. Um, uh, and sometimes when you, but when you are a manager, that is the role. It's a, it's a lonely role, Gary. It's a different role to being an assistant. You know, when you're an assistant. You're dealing with people all the time, whether other staff members and this, that, and the other. But as a manager, it can be a lonely, it can be a lonely role at times. Um, but I think that you know you just got to be able to don't be frightened and make mistakes, but learn really, really quickly. Mm. Three more for you. One from me. Um, yeah. Just on that there, when you say it's low. I mean, you're going into Northampton twenty four seven. I'd imagine Watford seeing twenty four seven. I mean. How do you balance then uh, the family, you know, the kids and the wife? How do you balance all that? Uh, not very well. <laughs> no, no, uh, to be fair, the last two, I, I learned, um, I learned in adversity, in a, like a time of adversity at um, Northampton to start trying to find some balance. I was... Um, the assistant at the time and I, I was doing a hell of a lot of work a hell of a lot of work and I was literally um, my wife said to me I would be I would be there but I wouldn't be present in the room and I started looking at this and I started thinking about right. Well, I think that I feel more pressure on myself when I'm working for someone because I'm so um I so want them to do well. I so want, I'm so loyal. I want to give them everything that I can. And I know what the role is as a head coach. But it's kind of, when I was at Northampton as the assistant, I was doing a hell of a lot of work. And constantly, constantly session planning, the detail that I, that not every coach is like it, but I was, I'm a very, very big, big um, person about planning and detail so when players come onto the field in the morning they go he's ready mm. um, so I put an enormous amount of pressure on myself there and I learnt and I have learnt this and I've only learnt this probably since the age of 46, 47 bearing in mind I've been doing this 18 years so I've not been, I've not been that successful at doing it so I have to admit that I'm probably not the greatest person to to speak to about it, but I did. I, I just started taking myself off a little bit and start going, right, okay, I need to make a little bit more time. For, you have to make time for yourself. You have to make time for yourself and you have to make time for your loved ones. So what I used to do, I used to cram quite a lot of work in in, in certain days. And when day, there was days off, what I started to do, so for example, at Northampton, the manager started giving the players Thursday off. On Thursday, I would not pick up I would not watch a game of football. I'd not pick up a coaching book. I would not pick up a session planner. I would not pick up my laptop. I'd get up in the morning. I might take my son to school. Um, I might go to the gym with my wife and then we might go out and have lunch. But I could only probably do it until about six or seven o'clock at night. So I'd give, I'd give my wife and my kids everything at that time. The kids would probably go to bed at half past eight or whatever. But by probably seven, half seven, I'll be back. I mean, I'm sitting here now. I've got three screens in front of me. So 
you know, I'm on my Mac at the minute. I've got an iPad open and I've got a Mac. I'm on my MacBook at the minute, but I've got a, a Mac that's open as well. And that's how I work. But that's just me. I, I'm, I'm a bit, um, I'm pretty relentless with, with what I do. I'm always, I'm, I'm always looking for different things and, and I enjoy it. But you have to be able to go sometimes, you know, and I did used to do it. Sometimes I, used to do it, I do it on a Sunday. On Sunday, between nine in the morning and five in the afternoon was my kids' time. Take them to football. Um, we'd either have Sunday dinner in the house and I would cook because I do, I do enjoy cooking. So that was also a way of me, me taking myself away from the job. Or we would go out to a restaurant and have some dinner or I'd take the kids for pizza or pasta or whatever. But that would be how I used to work. Slightly different, I'm going to say slightly different when a manager. And the reason why I'd say that is because as a manager, everything falls on you. And when you lose, you take it personally. You will always take it personally. So it, I would be there I, as much as I would be trying to, I would be trying to have a laugh and a joke. Everything on a Sunday would be determined by the result. Mm. If we won, I would kind of be all right, but I'd still be reflecting. I would still be analysing, and I'd still be going. Even in, even in, a win, I would still be looking for the faults. And when we lost, well, then I would, I would be all right. I would be all right for the kids, but I would say that my fuse could be a little bit shorter. But you. I think if you're going to do it, what you have to do when you find the balance, if I was going to another job now and I did this at Watford and I did it really, really well, I know that it, I'm saying that I wasn't very good at it, but I've learned. But one of the things that I did at Watford, we worked long hours and I worked very long hours. If I was working as a manager, I wouldn't stop. I'd be out the house at half past six, six in the morning and I'd still be working maybe in the office at seven o'clock at night. But when I, when I know that my day's done and I used to do this at Watford and I'm on the Mac now and I'd be doing loads of different stuff for the manager. When I was leaving that building, I used to close the, shut the Mac down, close the Mac and I'd leave the Mac on the desk. And I used to leave my bag with all my stuff in. I would leave it under my desk. And I never used to take it home. Then normally I'd go... I'd have my little book with me, maybe my, li my little diary. I've got a little black book where I write a lot of notes and reflections. I'd take, take myself out the training ground en route home. I've had a choice of Costa, Starbucks or Nero's. And I would go into one of those coffee shops and I would sit in there for half an hour just on my own, unwinding, relaxing, maybe write a couple of things down that come into my head, shut it up, go home, and then it's family time. Uh, last one, kind of along those lines. M mentor, and who, who's the one you, who's someone you pick up for advice? Uh, well, now, really, I've got, to be fair, I've got pretty uh, a pretty good uh, support team around me. Not, not necessarily that... Um, all these people would come and work with me in the next job. But, you know, uh, 
David Pleat, who's been a successful manager over here, um, has been uh, probably a great mentor for me in the last in the last sort of uh, 10, 12 years. I speak to him probably every week. If I don't call him, he calls me. Um, so he's really good. But there's, there's a varied amount of people, really, that I, I, I call, I speak, I, I speak to. Um, you know, Kike's one that I will, I will always speak to. I can have a conversation with him. You know, I, I, I share messages with uh, Slavisa at times. I've got other people that uh, in different roles at clubs that I will I will speak to um, if there's something if there's something that to be fair I'm quite good I've always been quite good um, I can have something on my mind I can have something on my mind I can take it to bed with me sleep I, I could go well I think this but you know what I want to sleep on it and I normally will wake up in the morning and the answer is already in front of me. The very, very few times that it, and it's very few, that it hasn't been, I would probably pick up the phone at David Pleat and just go, David, got this situation, what do you think? Brilliant. Dean, first class, this has been a fantastic. No, it's been, uh, it's always good, mate. I do like these type of things and I always, I, I hope that those that have, listening can take something out of it because it's very important to me that you know for me the football football is a game that I love it's been my whole life and, and I like giving back and I like helping people and uh, if I can ever ever do that in in this type of situation scenario and can give any advice I mean as I say I've been doing quite a few zoom calls over the last month trying to help some young coaches it's very important to me brilliant well we might Get you on again then, pass the kiss. <laughs> well, whatever whatever you want, mate. We've been we've been there before. It's been it's been good. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.